Our text this morning is from Psalm 84, and you'll find that on page 493 in the Bible uh, in front of you, in the, um, underneath the chair in front of you. Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house ever singing your praise. Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, John. Good morning. As you can see, we are in uh, Psalm 84 this morning. And on this Memorial Day weekend, we are starting a new sermon series that we are going to be going through the the books or uh, different psalms that we've we've, uh, selected to kind of go through for the rest of the summer. And so we are excited to join us. You can see that the title of this, I did not make this title up. This was all ransom. Uh, the title of the uh, sermon series is Salt Life. So um, I don't know. It's kind of cool. It's kind of red, I guess. Um, it's just kind of funny. Uh, uh, but I love it. And so that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be getting into um, the Psalms this, this summer. And so we're going to be starting with Psalm 84. We're not going in any particular order, but we're going to be moving through um, selected ones. I, I, I wanted to start by just reminding you, you may have spent uh, much time in the Psalms and you might have spent little time in the Psalms. But uh, as a note going into this sermon series, I, I want to just point out how devotional and intimate the Psalms are. Um, For hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, uh, our church has walked through the Psalms as as, uh, a means of worship, as prayers to be prayed individually, corporately, as songs to be sang. Um, As you read through the Psalms, you'll pick up songs even modern Psalms uh, or uh, songs where where they're a rewrite of of what the psalmist has written, but they're intimate in nature because uh, they're they're prayers, they're they're poems, they're songs to be shared, they're uh, calling out to God, they're seeking God, they're reminding themselves of God's power, they're they're sometimes questioning what God is doing. Um. They continue to seek the desire or seek and desire the Lord in intimacy with the Lord. And 
as we look at it this morning and as we look through the rest of the, the summer, one of the things we want to make sure we see within our sermons is that Jesus is seen in the Psalms and that every desire and prayer that the psalmist brings forward to God is answered in the work of Christ. And we, we want to make sure as, as uh, believers of Christ, looking back at a time before Christ had come, when these Psalms were written, that we understand how Christ has fulfilled these very desires that the psalmist has that we too uh, share. And so with that, let me pray for us, and then we will start this morning uh, in Psalm 84. Lord, we are grateful for this morning. We're grateful for this time that we get to worship you. We're grateful for your word. We're grateful, Lord, that um, the honesty and the vulnerability and the intimacy uh, that we find in the Psalms um, connects not only to the emotions that we feel, Lord, but it also uh, draws us closer to you as we see that you have fulfilled these desires in Jesus. And Lord, we pray that you will open our, our eyes and our minds, our hearts, our ears today to hear your word and to hear your truth. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, our world is flooded with information on how to care for our bodies. Okay, I did a quick Google search on just the word exercise and uh, there was, uh, I think it was 7.5 billion results in 0.59 seconds. Um, our, our, our world is oversaturated with discussion and information on how to take care of our bodies. Uh, how do you have healthy hair follicles? Read this article, right? How do you lower your bad cholesterol? Listen to this podcast. How do you confuse your biceps so that they will grow? Read this blog. I, there's just constant information coming at us of how to take care of this shell that is temporary. And yet it's mind boggling how much attention is shown to something like how to have glowing skin Yet in contrast, how little attention is shown to how to have a healthy soul. How to have a soul that will live forever. Uh, the, the very thing that's eternal, little is shown or paid attention to the information of how to have this soul that is healthy and growing in godliness. But so much attention is focused on the temporary. And this morning, that's where we want to jump into to Psalm 84, is to talk through turning from the temporary things uh, that, that aren't all bad. It's good to understand how to lower your cholesterol, but the things that matter, that will matter forever and ever and ever, we want to focus on that, the eternal things of how our soul grows in godliness. Paul writes to Timothy in one of his letters to him, and he says this, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. Why? He goes on, he says, because it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Taking care of the shell is of some value, but Paul says, taking care of your soul is godliness and is of value in every way. 
And so with that, this morning, we turn to the first two verses of Psalm 84, and you can look there with me as I read, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. The psalmist is expressing longing, this dwelling, this desire to be in the presence of God. God, if I could just be close to you in your courts, the closer I can get to you, I, I'm, I'm desiring this. I want to dwell with you. I would long for this. It brings us to our first point this morning, which is the fact that we were made for a relationship with God. You and I were created for a relationship with Jesus. And, and so think of it like this, as, as, as fallen human beings, you and I, rebels that have turned away from God and have gone our own way, have decided that we want to fill our lives with, with the things of this world that we know and desire things other than what we are created for, this relationship with God. Tell me if this sounds familiar. We long for things that we don't have. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but there is a sense of wanderlust. There's a sense of the grass is always greener on the other side. And that affects all of us, old and young. Uh, we, we desire the things that we don't have. And then when we receive it, we realize that it doesn't satisfy us. And we're on to the next. Think about when you were a little kid, I, you know, I used to go shopping with my parents. It was like, you know, my brother and I, or my, it was me and my sister, so two siblings, and my parents would go on Saturday mornings. And I, as a kid, oh man, I longed for that quarter or that dime to get that little plastic ball from the little machine by the door that had the toy in it, right? I longed for that, I desired for that every week. Oh, is it gonna happen? Is it going to happen? And it's going to change my life if I get this toy. And I would get it, and I would play with it on the ride home, and then I would realize it just doesn't satisfy. It, it, it just, the burning desire and longing is still there in me. It didn't do what I thought it would do. And fast forward to middle school, high school, as you sit here now in middle school and high school, I remember back, oh, if I could just date that girl, or if I could just be, get those grades, or, or uh, be that person on that team, or if I could just be with that group of people or drive that car, then... I would be satisfied. I was longing for what I didn't have. And when I received some of those things, I realized that burning desire did not fade. It couldn't satisfy me. Fast forward to adults. Oh, if I could just get that job or work in that career field, if we could live in that neighborhood or that city, that part of town or drive that car. Oh, if we could be known as those people within our friend group. And we become some of those things. We receive some of those things. And what happens? We realize it does not satisfy. That burning desire to want more, to be satisfied, isn't quenched. And this is what we see in the first verse, especially verse two, my soul longs, yes, 
faints for the courts of the Lord. You and I were created for a relationship with Christ. And we will not feel satisfied. Our longing, our desires, the burning to be known will never be quenched until we move into that trusting relationship with Jesus. That's what you were made for. Just as a glove was made for a hand and it doesn't fit or work for any other part of your body, until it finds rest in the thing that it was very much made for, the hand, there's a longing, a burning, a, a, a discontent that fuels up to the top. That longing will go on and on until we find our rest, our hope in this relationship that we were created for. And so we look and we have this longing for God. We realize that nothing else will satisfy this longing Yet the psalmist then moves the spotlight and he puts it on how does this desire, this longing for God, this, this relationship that we're made for, how does this affect or play in or, or um, move through the lives that we now live? How does this become practical in the life that we live on this world or in this world on this planet? Look at verse five through eight with me. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. I have this desire. It will never be quenched until I know in fullness Jesus as my Lord, until I'm brought to God in a relationship through Christ. And verse five says, blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, which we'll come back to. They make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Our second point this morning is that God's presence is greater than the circumstances we go through. David prayed for this shooting that happened and the victims and the families and all that are affected by this horrendous evil act. And, and in some ways it's hard to say this morning, God's presence is greater than our circumstances. I can't imagine the pain and the grief that parents are feeling this morning from that evil act. But I believe that God's presence is greater than our circumstances. I can't imagine what it would be like to walk through an evil, senseless, heinous act without knowing the presence of God was with me. The hopelessness, the despair. How could you even function to go forward in life without knowing that even in this evil circumstance, God is with me? And the psalmist points this out in these four verses that we just read, that, that his people that know his presence, that desire and long for them, their lives aren't any different or any better in the sense of bad things not happening. 
uh, coming to Jesus and putting your faith in Christ does not mean that life is going to be happy and clear of conflict and, and, and that your circumstances will never be sorrowful or lead into circumstances that are evil and painful and treacherous. But what Christ promises us and what the psalmist is pulling out in this is that the presence of God will not leave you in those circumstances alone. There's hope. There's hope. And that's not to minimize the pain and the suffering that you have felt, that I have felt, that people going through the evil tragedy in Texas are feeling at this moment. That's not to minimize that. It's to point to the fact that God will not leave us alone to go through that evil circumstance alone. And there is hope there, as we'll see soon in this passage, of the victory that Christ has established and gained and won for us. John Bunyan says it this way. Well, before I go there, let me, let me just, I said I'd reference the Valley of Baca. As I studied this week, um, theologians, historians are split on what, what this is actually speaking about. It, it could have been a physical place. If you remember at the time that the Psalms were written, God had revealed himself in his presence to be in his presence was to journey to Jerusalem to go to the temple. His presence was in the temple is where he revealed himself to his people. We know that after Christ has come and after he has won our salvation and brought us back to a relationship with God that we now worship in spirit and in truth, that God's presence dwells with his people. But at this time, the historians and, the, and the, the theologians have looked at this and said, maybe it was a physical place that on the journey, the pilgrimage to Jerusalem, to be in God's presence. Maybe this was a treacherous, hard track of, of a valley that you had to go through to get there. Or, or maybe it was symbolic, as valleys described in, in Scripture are symbolic of, of pain or suffering. Either way, D.A. Carson explains that the Valley of Baca, either whether it was a physical hardship to get through or a symbolic of, of hardship, he explains in his commentary that here it typifies every arid, uninviting aspect of pilgrimage. You and I are on a pilgrimage. All of us are. We're, we're on a pilgrimage as we, we move towards the eternal. We, we're distracted and we forget and lose, lose the idea of eternal life by the temporary lives and the, the, the circumstances that we face. But you and I were designed for eternity. And so we were on a pilgrimage either towards God or away from God. As D.A. Carson says, this is every arid, uninviting aspect of pilgrimage. We realize that as we look back at verse six, as they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. As they go, the people of God, 
You and I, those that trust in Christ, that have the presence of God that dwells with them, as they go through the suffering, painful, terrifying valleys of life, dry, where it's hard to know that Christ is with you. As you walk through these things, the psalmist says, as, as you go through these things, they make it a place, they make it a place of springs. This dry, arid time in your life that is painful to walk through. I, I think of mental health. I think of physical inabilities. I think of relational conflict. I think of trouble in our marriages. I think of, of, of not knowing how to parent and just strife in the house. That in these, in these valleys, these dry, uninviting aspects of the pilgrimage, the psalmist says, those that know the presence of God, these dry places turn into places of springs. He says the, the rain covers, the early rain covers these dry places, these valleys, and it, they become pools, saturated with God's presence. John Bunyan writes this, <clears throat> I have often seen that the afflicted are always the best sort of Christians. Think about that for a minute. That, that, that statement in itself runs against everything that our world teaches us. He goes on and he says, he goes on and he says uh, that what we see as good providences, health, success, ease, uh, financial security. I mean, we can add to the list, lack of conflict. Um, everything's just easy, comfortable, it's not hard. Life's just easy. He says that we see those as good providences, health, success, and ease frequently have minimal spiritual value. While what we see as bad providences, pain, trial, darkness, are often our deepest sources of spiritual nourishment and growth. How can this be? I mean, this runs, this runs against what you and I desire. We want ease. We want comfort. We don't want things to be hard. Yet it's in this broken world, God's presence with his people in the very things that we try to avoid are the things that actually grow us in maturity and bring healing and health to our souls for eternity. As Paul says, godliness is being made in us and that is valuable now and forever. This valley of Baca that we walk through and I believe that each of us, if we were to be vulnerable and honest and step up to, uh, to the stage and this microphone and share, hey, this is where life is hard right now for me. This is where the valley of Baca lies for me. This is uh, what, what, what I'm seeing as a, a bad providence, um, pain, trial, and darkness. 
this is what I'm going through. I believe all of us have at least one or two things that we could share with the rest of our congregation. The things that we're trying, we're trying to avoid them. And I'm not saying welcome these things in a, thing, in a sense that we want to look forward to these things. But what I'm saying is that, that because of Christ, there is victory in God's presence over these things in our lives. We may remain in them years, decades. We may have physical ailments for the rest of our lives. We may suffer with depression or anxiety or, or some other kind of mental uh, health disorder for the rest of our lives. But yet, as we cling to Christ, as we cling to the reminder of truth that God's presence is with us, this dry, arid uh, valley doesn't necessarily become less painful, but it becomes manageable because we know the victory that is in Jesus will make that a pool, will make that a place of, of um, a place, as verse 11 or 10 says, refreshment. It'll be a place of springs. It's not the end of the story because God's presence is with us. So how does God's presence in our lives, how does God's presence in our painful pilgrimage turn our dry valleys into these refreshing pools? How does, how does God's presence meet us in the valley of Baca? What does that look like? Look at verse nine with me. Behold our shield. Oh God, look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. How does God meet us? How does his presence meet us in these dry valleys of our lives? How can we practically see and be changed into these valleys becoming pools and springs. It brings us to our third point that we find our rest and refreshment through faith in Jesus. We are ushered into the courts of God now through faith in Jesus. And although we will walk through the valleys, and although we will walk through dry seasons of life, painful, terrifying seasons, faith in Christ has brought us to God, back into a relationship, and we are ushered into the kingdom of Christ, of God. We are ushered into the courts of God, and we now stand represented by Jesus with God, even now as we believe forever and ever. Verse 10, as we just read, says, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. As we align our desires with God's desires, we understand more and more of his presence in our daily lives. This, this presence of God is purchased through this 
trust in Jesus. Uh, We come to a place where, like verse 10 says, we would rather be what seems to be a lowly position with God in his presence than have all the health and wealth and prominence and honor without God. That, that kind of life and those desires to have maybe what we see as good providence, not that we would hope for, for bad things to happen, but we see those good providences is if those are happening apart from me being in the presence of God, I don't want them. Because where I'm known, where I'm satisfied, what I'm made for is to be in the place where I am with God in the presence of God. Dane Ortland says, how, how can this be that we would rather be in a lowly place with God than an honored place without God? Dane Ortland says, because no, when you're in a place where you are in God's presence, no matter what pain washes into your life, your deepest joy cannot be threatened. Your deepest joy, as your soul becomes healthy, longing and desiring for godliness, for the presence of God, Dane Ortland says that no matter when pain washes into your life, as terrible and as awful as it may be, your deepest joy cannot be threatened. It's held secure because of the steadiness of God's presence in your life. Well, I want to close this morning by asking the question, what if you're sitting there and you don't feel God's presence in your life? What if you're sitting there and you can't muster up the strength to face the pain or the grief that you are walking through in life? I want to say two things. Whether you're a a Christian and you trust Jesus or you're here because your wife or your husband made you come or because you think this is maybe something to try out, you're considering the claims of Christ. I want you to hear this. There is no way that you or I or anyone else in this world can walk through this broken journey, this pilgrimage without the presence of God. We weren't made to. You and I weren't made to do this life apart from God. You were made to be in a, in a fellowship, a relationship with God, as we said in the first point. Even so, that as we walk through this broken world where there is sin and there is evil and there is pain and there is suffering, we walk through Christ with the presence of God. You weren't supposed to ever muster the strength up to face the pain and grief in your life. The second thing I would say is that I don't feel God's presence. I wouldn't say that's uncommon at times for you or me. But one thing that I know is that facts and feelings can be different. Feelings can can fade and move and come. They're like the wind. Feelings can move all around the spectrum of your emotions. 
But facts don't change. Facts remain consistent whether you feel them to be true or, or not feel them to be true. Two plus two will always equal four. Life in Christ brings you into God's presence. It's a fact. It's a fact. And so what I would say to you is look to the facts of the, that the psalmist is laying out in verse 11. Be encouraged that you're not supposed to meet this grief and this pain in your life alone. You're supposed to meet it by faith. It's it, meeting this pain in this, in this um, meeting this pain in this uh, uh, circ terrible circumstances in your life is not meant by you tying your bootstraps tight and putting your chest out and walking through it as a warrior. It's actually found by laying yourself down before the true warrior. Jesus, the one who fights your battles for you, the one who has gone before you and lived the life that you and I ought to have lived and then paid the price that you and I deserved. It's found in Jesus by humbling yourself and falling face forward at his knees and saying, Lord, I love you. Will you fight my battles for me? Will you save me? That is where life is found. That is where strength is found, is when you are becoming vulnerable and intimate with the very warrior that has conquered all. The psalmist points us to this in verse 11. And verse 10 can only be possible because of what verse 11 says. My desire to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord instead of dwelling in the tents of wickedness can only be possible because of verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield, a sun, S-U-N. He is our light, he is our guide, he is our power, he is the life giver. And he's our shield, he is our protector, he is our security. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly with him. God has given us the best thing. He withholds no good thing from those who walk uprightly with him. Who walks uprightly with God? I do not. You do not. But Jesus does. And those that trust in Jesus are represented by Jesus. And therefore, they receive this promise of the person that walks uprightly with God. What's the promise? That no good thing does God withhold from those people that trust Jesus. God gives you himself, his presence, the best good thing that could ever be given to you and me. Listen to uh, the New Bible Commentary says this, it says, Jesus Christ is our eternal guarantee of our security, acceptance, and blessedness. That it's not you, it's not Steve Pink. That's the guarantee. It's not by my strength as I muster up courage to walk through the valleys of my life. It's by Jesus. It's by faith and trust in Jesus. The author of Hebrews 
says this in verse in chapter four. He says, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, with our valleys. Jesus has walked these valleys. But instead, we have a high priest who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We are in the time of need. This is the time of need. To draw close, to draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in this time of need. We have a longing, a desire that only is quenched through the person of Jesus, to know Jesus, being drawn back to God through Christ. And, and, and this promise is that he walks with us through the valleys of our lives. And he brings rest and refreshment as he ushers us into God's kingdom, to his throne, to his courts. Verse one says, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord. The dwelling place of God today is in, as we will sing in the benediction song in just a few minutes, that he dwells within the presence of his people. The dwelling place of God is in the presence of his people. His presence is here. And we pray and we know that through Christ, this dwelling place now is here and it's a lovely place where he is taking our dry valleys, walking and being patient and loving and protecting and encouraging to us through these valleys as he shows us his victory that he's already won and the health and the care that we need for our souls now and forever. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for today. We're grateful for your word. I pray, Lord, that as this uh, psalm speaks to me and the pain and the, and the suffering and the evil that I have walked through or am walking through, I'm reminded that you never leave me. Lord, you never leave us. You, you protect us. You guard us. You guide us. Lord, your presence is the joy that brings refreshment even in the worst situations even in the most heinous, evil situations, Lord. It is in your presence that we find hope. And that hope restores and brings health to our souls. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.